Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is an RNZ podcast. Start. Nummi hinui and a big welcome to our changing world. Ko Alison Balance a Tonight I'm joining a group of people who've been spending a lot of time over the past three years thinking about water. To be more specific, they are thinking about all the water in a single catchment. Be that freshwater streams, stormwater runoff from suburbs, or the harbour that receives all this water. They've been finding out about ways to make this water cleaner, healthier and hopefully swimmable. The catchment in question is Porirua, just north of Wellington, and the group of people are the Te Awarua or Porirua Whaitua Committee. It's part of Greater Wellington Regional Council's response to the National Policy Statement for Freshwater Management. It directs local authorities to work out how they should carry out their responsibilities under the Resource Management Act for managing fresh water. Greater Wellington decided to consult with communities about what they want. What are their hopes and aspirations for water and what are they willing to do to get there? They've set up five Whaitua committees across Wellington and the Wairarapa. This is because they recognise that different catchments have different challenges. Porirua, for example, has lots of small urban streams, while over the hill in the Wairarapa, there are dairy farms, big rivers and large lakes. I'm off to Porirua to meet members of the Whaitua Committee and Greater Wellington staff. They're going to take me on a bit of a mountains-to-the-sea journey to see some of the water issues they're grappling with. My name's Stu Ferrant, I'm an ecological engineer and I'm also the chair of Te Awarua o Porirua Whaitua Committee. And the committee is charged with working collaboratively with the community to develop limits and targets for freshwater management throughout the entire catchment which drains to Te Aurua o Porirua, previously referred to as Porirua Harbour. It obviously includes the suburb of Porirua. What else does it include? So in terms of geography, it goes from, um, from Pukerua Bay in the north, Judgeford and, and um, the head of Patahanui Inlet in the east, and through to Churton Park in the south. So it captures um, areas both within Wellington City Council and Porirua City Council jurisdiction, um, and also some areas of fairly large greenfield development, as well as areas that are subject to future development. Um, and it's also the new Transmission Gully motorway cuts right through the middle of it. So it's a pretty big and complicated catchment. It is, yeah. It covers both rural land use, so, so farming, as well as, as urban and, and sort of light industrial commercial development as well. So you're a member of the committee as well, Warwick. Can you tell me who you are and why you got involved? Uh, my name is Warwick Lyon. I work at NIWA. I got involved in this because it was sort of community-based and the decisions were going to be made by the community itself. Uh, I want to look after the harbour. You know, if you live here or you're 
part of it, you feel like it's yours and you want to do the best you can for it. You know, improve the streams, the harbour itself and the, the land and how the land is managed. So Stu, can you explain where we've actually started this little expedition? Because we are going to go essentially down a stream. At the moment we're up in the start of the headwaters of the Uru Kahika stream, um, which is a small stream up behind um, Elston, which has its headwaters up at the top of Rangatuhi, or Colonial Knob. I guess the catchment's lucky to still have a lot of these headwater streams that are cloaked in, in uh, beautiful regenerating forests, so you won't be able to see it, but we're surrounded by lovely koikoi and tawa and tatoki and uh, lots of bird life. And so the stream is well shaded, um, has, has no upstream development, it's, it's entirely natural, and therefore supports some really good in-stream um, freshwater values. But unfortunately goes into a pipe not far downstream from where we're standing now, and then goes through the industrial area and out into, into the harbour. But I think just standing here, you've seen the amount of um, community connection with these, with these streams. There are lots of, of people, I have to say, running past. Yeah, it's obviously popular for that. But I think part of this, this fire tour process is, is really understanding how people appreciate the fresh water and, and receiving environment. And so this seems like a, an appropriate place to start. The Greater Wellington Regional Council, can you introduce yourself and tell me how come this committee came about from your point of view? What's it trying to do? My name is Paul Hammond from Greater Wellington Regional Council and I'm one of the senior policy advisors there supporting the FITUR committees. So with the development of our uh, natural resources plan, which at the moment is just in a proposed state, in terms of water quality, the decision was made to set up five FITUR committees. So the region was divided into five areas. And ideally what that was to achieve is that each area within the greater Wellington region had its own specific issues and problems and so it was to work with the people from that area to address those specific issues. So they need to set the objectives for under the uh, National Policy Statement for Fresh Water of what they want to see, where they want the water quality to be and then we go through a process of working out well what do we need to do what sort of regulation, education, um, investment or planning, what sort of things do we need to put in place in order to work towards achieving those objectives that they want to see. So it's a freshwater and a seawater thing. Now, can I get you to introduce yourself because I understand you're from the freshwater spectrum. My name's Mark Heath. I'm a senior freshwater scientist at Greater Wellington Regional Council. I look at what the current state of water quality is and that doesn't just include the water quality, the contaminants, the, the nitrogen, the sediment that's coming into the harbour and going down our streams, but it also includes the fish and the bugs that live in these streams and what their current state is and how they're trending. Is the state improving or is it declining? So from a freshwater point of view, uh, Stu's mentioned that the stream further down goes under a pipe. Does it have native fish in it? Usually these these headwater streams and up here we do these streams do support some very good fish values so it's not uncommon to find some of our, our better climbing species the kawaro or the banded cockapoo in these type of streams in fact just before you arrived here Alison we actually found the coda living here as well so let's go downstream and have a look at what starts happening once you leave the forest let's we don't have to go far to find ourselves in a very different environment we're now standing on a hill overlooking um, what's referred to as Kenapuru Landing Development, which is a, um, a residential development going into land that was formerly um, part of Kenapuru Hospital grounds. And so it was pretty, pretty lowly developed. It had a few buildings here and there, but, um, but largely fairly open. 
It's fairly new, I guess, for the Wellington region in terms of, of quite a high density of development. So there's around about 700 dwellings going into this development, um, as well as a retirement village. And just between us and the development is, um, is a stretch of water referred to as Mitchell Stream, which also comes down from Rangatuhi. I guess this highlights um, some of the challenges faced in terms of land development throughout the catchment, but also some of the, some of the way things have been done now. So this development has integrated the principles of what's referred to as water-sensitive urban design um, through the development. So all runoff from it is, is managed through, um, through, through various means um, to reduce that impact on the environment. Um, and also during construction, there's obviously quite a bit of effort goes into erosion and, and sediment control. There's obviously a lot of um, exposed earth that's open, um, prevent that getting into the stream. And the other, I guess, interesting part here is um, over to the right there, um, you can start to see all the, the signs of Transmission Gully, which is really going to sort of transform quite a few areas within the Whaitua boundaries. What's been happening with this stream that's, that I can barely see in front of us? I can just see a whole lot of scrubby rubbish, basically. <laughs> it starts off in the um, headwaters and comes down past the Porirua landfill uh, through the industrial area and on Broken Hill Road uh, and then winds its way down through the old hospital area and then uh, discharges into the Porirua stream. So is this one in a pipe at all or was it managed to stay out of the open? Uh, this one is, is quite quite rare in that it is largely in the open. There's a small section of piping downstream of here, which obviously has, has um, great benefits in terms of fish passage and things like that. So some of the other streams, though, they, they're piped along quite long distances? Yes, a number of streams within Pyro City and further afield are piped, and that's a lot of pressure in terms of fish passage. Um, but also... There's implications when we've got piping and culverts for flood protection so we can have debris build up and that can cause flooding issues so they need to be maintained and cleared to um, allow water to get into our streams and out to the harbour. Um, I was just going to comment that this is um, a really good um, vantage point to see across the whole catchment and we can see out um, to the Horakiri and Pawatanui catchments and then it's really showing us some of the pressures here and that if we look across these hillsides, we can see where we've got a little bit of landslide and erosion and then we've got TG right in front of us, or Transmission Gully Project, and we've just had um, diggers and bladers working and we can see all this exposed earth and sediment here in the Pororo Harbour is a major contaminant and uh, through this Vaitua process, that's something that the community and Greater Wellington, working very closely with the community, are, are trying to see how we can manage sediment better. So one of the things we always hear about freshwater streams and that is that in terms of the aquatic life that lives within them, they're used to being shaded and a lot of streams have lost a lot of that shade so they've lost a lot of those riparian values. So is that an issue in the catchment as well? Yeah, yeah, most definitely. And we saw it where we started off um, earlier that was you know, fully shaded and, and really cool and, and supporting all those, those values. Um, and parts of the catchment here, the streams are flowing through open farmland um, and a lot of that open farmland is, is also earmarked for urban development. So there's, there's a couple of major growth areas identified by both Porirua City Council and Wellington City Council that will see conversion of streams essentially from rural um, to urban. Um, and so that, that really is actually an opportunity to enhance those streams in terms of riparian margins through that process. And also in the rural area, just in terms of um, retirement and, and replanting of riparian, riparian margins offers big value. What are some of the other issues around here? So I guess when talking about streams, um, the hydrology is, a, is another big issue. So obviously when we change things from, from a vegetated surface 
where water can infiltrate into the ground and also be taken up by the plants and evaporate. When we replace that with paved surfaces, be it roads or roofs, um, it changes the, the flow that, that comes off that land following rainfall events, and in particular very small rainfall events change quite significantly, and that has follow-on ecological impacts in terms of the flashiness of the flow and the, and the, the stress on, on biota in those waterways. Um, so really trying to manage catchments in a way that deals with not only the contaminants but also the, the, um, the flow that comes off them. So trying to hold water back in the landscape and trying as best as possible to, I guess, mimic the, the, the natural hydrology of a, of a catchment is, is really key. So one of the things that I hear about in relation to things like stormwater runoff is making more permeable surfaces. Yeah, it's correct. And I think this, this development is a good example of where we don't need to be um, necessarily afraid of urban development and, and particularly intense urban development if you also manage your water as part of that. And so you know, clustering houses, that creates a bit more public open space that then can be used to manage the stormwater. So through here there's, there's rain gardens distributed throughout the streets that capture the, the runoff and, and infiltrates that down through the, through the ground. And there's also a series of, of basins along the, um, the stream edge that will capture that water before it gets into the stream. So hopefully in the future the people who are living in the subdivision will actually have a better relationship with their stream. Yeah, yeah you're right, hopefully they will. If you see the stream and, and you're there, you, can, you interact with it and you, you wonder where it goes and what it does and what's in it. So what's the community been telling you about what their aspirations are for the, the freshwater and the harbour around here? The community, I guess, has been saying that it's, it's a bit of a mess and it really needs to be improved. Um, you know, our waterways and, uh, you know, freshwater and saltwater really need to be improved and, and they want that to happen and they realise that that's going to come at a bit of a cost. But I think a lot of people are keen to, to see that change. So what are the kind of costs and challenges, Stu? Well, I guess the costs are just associated with changing the way we do things. So historically... Um, stormwater for one was, was put into pipes and, and, and discharged um, as quick as possible out into the receiving environment um, there's also a whole lot of really ageing wastewater infrastructure so there's problems with stormwater getting into the wastewater network and then overflowing into the, into the streams during heavy rain events um, so there's a whole lot of costs associated with fixing the existing infrastructure firstly um, and then also obviously costs with, with doing land development in a different way by treating your stormwater within your development, that has a cost that's borne by the developer in the first instance, passed on to the to the, the homeowner at the time of purchase, but then also long-term costs for councils in terms of maintaining and making sure that, that these things function for, for a long time. So there is a change, um, and it would be fair to say that, that other places have, have already made that change um, within New Zealand and internationally, so, so in some ways we're sort of playing a little bit of catch-up people in the community are saying that's something they're willing to do? Yeah, yeah they are I mean you very seldom hear a voice that says that they're not interested in, in water quality and they, they, they don't value it and obviously yeah, we're seeing it more and more with, um, with people connecting with the harbour and, and things um, and all the recreational opportunities that that provides so I think it would be fair to say that, um, that the, the clear message is that um, the water quality is increasingly important and part of that is, is I think getting people to understand and connect with the waterways so I guess another Another interesting point with Kennebury Landing is that the stream won't be in a pipe. You know, the stream will be an open stream um, along the, the boundary of what will be a future, future suburb, and so those residents will understand where water goes and therefore the implications of what they do within their properties. And where this water goes is directly downhill, to the harbour, which the city to date has effectively turned its back on. So this is what's referred to as the Simple Street outfall. Um, so it's a large concrete culvert 
with a tide valve on the end of it that discharges into the southernmost end of the um, Onipoto arm of the harbour. And this outfall is the, um, is the same awa or same stream as we were at earlier. So the, the Urukaheka stream comes down and discharges through here. But in the probably one and a half kilometres between, between here and the headwaters is um, a fairly large area of commercial um, light industry and, um, and residential. And the stream is in a pipe all the way through that area? It is, yeah, correct. Yeah, it's so it's been a long pipe. time since people saw this stream? Yeah, yeah, and the last time they saw the stream it was in the, uh, in the forest with, um, with all those lovely birds and, birds and trees and, and all the values in the stream and then here it is um, coming out here with, with sort of the added cocktail of, of contaminants and other nasties. So how contaminated is it? I'm Megan Oliver, I'm a coastal ecologist and team leader at Greater Wellington Regional Council. So Greater Wellington undertake a lot of monitoring in the harbour. For the last two and a half decades we've been monitoring various aspects of water quality and sediment quality. And so we have a you know, good um, history of working in this area and we know quite a lot about the condition of the harbour. So this is Porirua Harbour, this is the Onipoto Arm, one of the two estuaries uh, that make up Porirua Harbour. And this is something of a, a jewel in the crown of the region, really. It was once the food bowl for local iwi, Ngāti Toa, but it has experienced quite a bit of um, change on the land and consequently contamination um, from industry, from urban development, from reclamation. So... Where we're looking now, into the inner Onipoto arm just here, uh, there are definitely some hot spots of contamination and we're talking about contamination from sediment, uh, so quite a lot of mud build-up, but also contamination from metals that come in via the stormwater. And that's a train going past because there's a motorway and a railway line running down one side of the harbour. And the land that that uh, train is running on is in fact a reclamation, so quite a lot of this, well indeed it was all once uh, wetland, so the CBD has been built, um, as has State Highway 1 and the main trunk line have all been built on reclaimed land. So, you know, first off, one of the main pressures was just a loss of habitat, massive loss of intertidal habitat, wetland, salt marsh, all of which served to filter the runoff from the land, um, and then add to that the pressures of um, a CBD, a growing city on its edge, and urban development, as you can see up here on Aotea Block, uh, which has recently been completed, and there's further development behind there. They're all still adding inputs to the harbour. Uh, the road is a big contributor of contaminants too, uh, contaminants such as copper from brake pads. Uh, all of our cars have them, and um, every time you brake, um, copper dust comes off and is left on the road where it washes in following rain and also zinc from tyres. So those are the two biggest metal contaminants that we monitor in the harbour and there are certainly hot spots of contamination out here where the concentrations of those metals exceed guidelines that we know start to have impacts on some of the aquatic life. We've got some pretty big challenges. If we look where we're standing now, we're at the bottom of Pyrrhus City and we've got Aged, aged infrastructure and we've got leaking infrastructure where we've got problems with E. coli which is an indicator, indicator bacteria for nasty bugs such as Caplobacter and actually a number of our streams in the Pyrrha region aren't swimmable but through this exercise we've been able to help pinpoint and identify where some of those hotspots are to inform where mitigation harm can occur into the future. And from a freshwater stream point of view, this stream which no one has seen for a while is now spitting out of a culvert there. That must be particularly challenging for fish, I'm thinking, trying to get back up the stream. 
Absolutely, and so especially here in the Porirua city arm of um, Porirua Harbour, we've got a number of these culverts and there might be 200, 400 metres of piping before we get to an open stream channel again and that's a real challenge for our native fish that spend a part of their life cycle in the ocean and so they come back up as juvenile and our white bait species swim up these pipes and they've got to try and get up these pipes to try and find some open stream and habitat where they can live and complete their life cycle. So it's a, a huge challenge. So Warwick, you are a marine biologist and you're very familiar with these harbours. So how do you see these harbours? How do you see their condition? From a use perspective, even as a young fella sailing out here, I'd get um, a sore stomach every time the, the season started because I'd, you know, I'd drink the water. And the same thing happens to those using the waka armour and you know the users of the harbour, the rowers, the water skiers, the jet skiers, you know, it's all the same thing. They get ill and that's something that has to be solved. When it comes to the biological species, I see the main problem in my mind is, is the sediment and uh, we get huge influxes of sediment after uh, huge rains or earthquakes. So you get the smothering of the, uh, of the silt and species that can't move, you know, can, can die and then you're starting to upset ecosystems. So, you know, you really do have to keep an eye on these things if you, if you do want a healthy harbour, which is what we want. The metals are the same. The, Megan talked about the copper and the, uh, the zinc. They can be toxic to, to some species and uh, they also bioaccumulate. So the harbour is at the receiving end of everything. Whatever happens upstream of it ends up down here in the harbour. So that's why you need to have this catchment-wide process... Yeah, it is. So, so historically, things used to be done more on, on terms of local council boundaries and the likes. Um, but really, when we're dealing with receiving environments like the, the estuary down here, um, you have to have to view it in terms of its whole catchment that's contributing. So, so be that be that the, the mix between rural and, and urban use, um, and all those other different land uses and, and road infrastructure and things that any any change in the land within the catchment will impact ultimately on the downstream environment. Are you going to have to factor climate change into this and in that rainfall events and severe storm events are changing? Yeah, it's, it's certainly something that we need to consider and work with, especially when we're formulating our policies. So we, know, we know that we're going to probably have more frequent, higher-intensity events. So how do we deal with that? What sort of measures do we need to put in place to reduce the impacts of those People expressed a desire to want to gather food from the harbour again and do you think that would ever be possible? Collecting mahanga kai is certainly an aspiration for Ngāti Tōa. Um, whether or not it's achievable uh, is up for discussion because it is still you know, a harbour receiving environment on the edge of a growing city. So what it will require and which is achievable with agreement from the community and the businesses and industry that work here is setting some really high standards for stormwater treatment and stormwater management. Uh, and that relies on people understanding you know, where their water comes from and where it goes and making that connection with the environment and some of those um, things we've talked about earlier, which is connecting people back to their environment, caring about why the water quality that comes from their property or from their business should be of a really high standard. So it, it is possible uh, that at some point in the future one might be able to collect uh, cockles from the harbour again, 
But it will be some way off because, at least in the short term, there's quite a legacy build-up of, of contaminants here, and um, and that can be a problem not only for the shellfish that are living in the sediment, but possibly for human health if they're eating a lot of that sh- the shellfish. So, can you give me an example of how this might work in practice? Like one thing that you've been thinking about that's going to have to change, and how much it's going to have to change? Yeah, okay. I guess there's a whole lot of different. Um different contaminants and things are concerned but obviously sediment's quite a major um, issue within the within the harbour. We've looked at, at sort of some of the long-term historical rates of sedimentation in, a, in an estuary harbour um, such as this and also compared that with um, the regional council have got a fairly long record of, of recording the recent deposition rates and in some parts of the, the harbour they're very very high um, and so there's sort of been a, a, a target set of a two millimetres per year um, sedimentation rate to be achieved and, and, and that seems to align quite well with the historical trends and, and is believed to, to hopefully support some of those ecological values um, but in doing that, that requires a significant step change from what's been done now so um, the numbers are looking at around about a 45% reduction in the current load of sediment that's coming into the harbour just to achieve that, that 2 millimetre rate and that goes without um, all the additional changes to the land use that may be coming so achieving that in itself will be a, will be an ambitious target, and and that covers both rural and and urban land use. So it's it's really around some of the practices on the steep hillsides. It's um, around practices to do with earthworks and and the amount of earthworks that's open, and just how sediments managed during construction processes. So it's going to have some quite big flow-on effects. Yeah, well, it will, and um, and I guess it's it's just the understanding of of what those are, and then clarity around that, so that when we go into into future development projects or, or farming practices, people to understand um, both what needs to be done but also why it's being done. We've identified a whole lot of challenges in the harbour, I guess on a positive note, and for some of our streams, the Pawatanui, the Horakiri, they actually do support really healthy fish communities and we can find the likes of giant cockapoo, short-jaw cockapoo, which are really uh, threatened and we find them here in this harbour and so that's a really neat thing that they're still really good values worth protecting. So there's challenges and problems but lots of things to celebrate as well still. Absolutely and yeah so let's hope that in 20 years time we can look back on this uh, process as being the thing that started the change. I think this is, has been a really exciting uh, process not only for freshwater because it's been driven by a national policy for freshwater but it's driven outcomes for the marine environment as well which as a coastal scientist, I think it's a real win for the for the coastal environment. The community have said, you know, we value our freshwater and we want to set limits for improving freshwater quality and quantity, but also we value the marine environment that it flows into. And so for some of the um, environmental objectives that we will set or that the committee will set, they will be set in the harbour because the harbour is the ultimate receiving environment for everything that flows into it. And for me that's a real win for the coastal space, for the coastal environment. I think it's, it's really important to also understand that the, the values that this harbour supported have been lost in the space of only a couple of generations. So when we speak to um, Kamatua from Ngāti you know, there's there's many stories about kids gathering, gathering kaimoana from the harbour on their way home from school and things. And so Unfortunately, what we've done on the land has had a, a significant impact and that's really changed the social fabric and the way that people relate um, to both the harbour and the freshwater. And so the real challenge, and I think it's actually a really op- a, a big opportunity, is to, is to change that for future generations and, and hopefully you know, people standing here in 50 years' time will be sort of telling a different story. And a big thanks to Stu Farrant and Warwick Lyon from the Te Awaroa or Porirua Whaitua Committee 
and to Paula Hammond, Megan Oliver and Mark Heath from Greater Wellington Regional Council. Te Awarua or Parirua Whaitua Committee will be making their recommendations to Greater Wellington over the next few months. One Whaitua Committee has already completed its report and there are still three that aren't up and running yet. If you live in other parts of the country and are interested in finding out how your council is responding to the National Policy Statement for Freshwater Management, then head along to our webpage where you'll find some handy links. rnz.co.nz slash ourchangingworld. You can follow us both on Facebook and Twitter. We are RNZ Science and our email address is ourchangingworld at rnz.co.nz. Thanks for your company. But for now, it's good night from me, Alison Balance, Paul Marie. Botox Cosmetic, Autobotulinum Toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.